0: Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston show. I'm going to try and front load the stuff that is directly related to the coronavirus and what we are seeing up front. And then, uh, towards the back end, we'll see how this is changing things up and the political landscape here for the 2020 election. Uh, both, you know, uh, as far as the Democrat front runners and what it could possibly mean for the House and the Senate. And I'm going to start the show off by going through and asking you, have we already lost the fight to slow the spread of the coronavirus? So there's a lot of people going off and saying, Hey, let's take a look at our efforts. Let's take a look at the economic damage and let's take a look at the death rates. And let's ask, is this worth it? You know, is this worth, you know, shutting everything down over the death rate is low? Now, as I had explained previously, We're getting into a false sense of security because of the success that we have had in slowing the spread and preventing our medical capacity from being overwhelmed. And because we still have tremendous medical capacity right now, people are looking at the, you know, death rate and going, hmm, it must not be that bad. But again, you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it through the lens of the success rather than what it would be if we were not taking these actions, right? And so I just want to go through and dive into some of the numbers here. So, you know, as I had stated previously, the average, uh, when we took a look at France and Britain, you know, was getting up to between four and five percent. And what that would translate to as far as population in the United States, if everyone ended up getting affected, what, 4% of the population equates to about 13 million people, right? So I just checked uh, the stats, you know, the data and ran some numbers here, you know, uh, that are freshly updated just before I started the recording of this episode, okay? And so the average death rate in the United States right now is 1.31%. Now, If you listen to yesterday's podcast, you know that is higher than what it was yesterday. Now, true, we could take a look at, you know, uh, certain factors going, well, now that the, you know, there's greater number of testing, we're finding out what the true case is. And and it's like, yeah, guess what? Now that the increased number of testing, uh, is going on and we're finding out how widespread this is. And how many people are actually dying from it? Guess what? The death rate is going up. That should be a warning sign people. And we're also finding, you know, that, you know, where the deaths are are happening, you know, the medical capacity in that area is determining what the outcome is. So, for instance, we could take a look at New York. New York is a heavily populated area. But it also has a lot of hospitals and a lot of medical capacity because of the heavier or denser population having higher amounts of medical needs than, say, you know, uh, places in the Midwest that are, you know, um, while it has a lot of land is not so densely populated, does not have a lot of hospital and medical capacity. So while we could take a look at New York, the average, you know, uh, for the death rate right now is still less than 1%. That is good. But if we go over, uh, to the state of Washington, the death rate is 4.99%. That's quite a range, people. That is a range. And it depends on a lot of factors, you know, medical capacity. Of course, I guess, you know, the individual health of the people getting sick, you know, and the age. Yes, all of those are factors, but that is still quite a bit of range, right? Now let's take kind of a medium range, California people, California, the death rate is at 1.95%. So what we need to take a look at when we're talking about, you know, assessing the risk and Oh, it's only, you know, 1% or it's only 2%. The truth is, we are still trying to figure out what the death rate is. You know, because we're looking at death rates while we have high medical capacity and getting in uh for a lot of treatment per uh, person. We're not taking a look at, well, what is the death rate if we're unable to provide medical care? And that is the danger. Overflooding the hospitals. With more cases, and then therefore, people not being able to get treated, you'll see the death rates go up. That's what all of this 15 days shutting down the economy has been about slowing the spread so that the hospitals don't get overwhelmed so that we can keep the death rates low. Right? Does that make sense now? Does that make sense to you? All right? And so, it's also about increasing our medical capacities. You know, uh, those masks and ventilators that pe- and ICU beds that people are going, well, why aren't we seeing more of them being produced? Because they were being produced in China to begin with, right? And China is threatening to withhold that stuff if we don't bow to their propaganda narrative. And retooling, you know, manufacturing facilities and ramping up manufacturing to produce that stuff here in the United States takes a little bit of time. That's why we're trying to slow the spread. Does that make a whole lot of sense to you now? Now, you know, the psychology of people, you know, is not only, you know, interesting as we see how, you know, everyone's trying to manipulate, you know, the data to, you know, justify their own personal uh, political beliefs or their own, you know, um, economic interests. And you know what? Fair point. You can go off and say I'm manipulating the data. But guess what? I'm not saying I know the end results. I'm not saying that the risk, you know, isn't high. And I'm not saying that the risk is high. What I'm saying is we don't know yet, you know, because of the success and the initial steps uh, that we have taken in keeping the medical capacity from being overwhelmed and that there is actually a wide range geographically, uh, both in the United States and outside of the United States in the death rates. And since we have less than three months worth of data to work with here, it all states that we don't actually know what the total risk is. The one thing that we do know for sure is that this thing is highly contagious Highly infectious. Look how fast it spread across the globe. And for those of you who think that, you know, this is a huge overreaction, you know, by Trump, well, look outside of the United States. You know, I mean, you could take a look at, you know, a lot of other places that have cracked down a lot harder than President Trump in trying to fight and stop the spread of this. You know, you think, you know, uh, Canada. You think Canada closed its borders, you know, uh, for all non-essential, you know, products, goods and, you know, uh, travel because, you know, Justin Trudeau finally, you know, agrees with President Trump's political, uh, ideology and agenda. Are you kidding me? Do you think Mexico, you know, closed down its borders because all of a sudden they think Trump is, you know a great guy with the best uh political policies in the world you think mexico finally says we're in 100% of agreement with president trump because there's not a risk take a look at europe you know open borders europe they all close their borders do you think the entire you know liberal apparatus and leadership of europe you know took the actions that they have in closing up uh their borders and stopping travel because all of a sudden after three years of saying Trump is a horrible racist bigot whose policies are backwards are finally going around and say, hey, you know what? We finally agree 100% with the ideology of Trump and the conservative movement. You think they did all of that just because they came around and saw the light? Or do you think they did all of that because they took a look around and go, holy crap, we got something dangerous happening here Yep. So if you're thinking that it's just Trump overreacting, then this would be a huge overreaction of the entire globe. Okay. So it's not, you know, that, you know, it's not, you know, just here in the United States now. And so as we go through and take a look at the data, the data is still at the point where the death rates vary significantly based off of medical capacity. Okay, but going into the psychology of everything here, you know, it seems like for years, I have been looking through Facebook, scrolling through Facebook, and every Monday morning is predictable. Every Monday morning has been filled with memes of people complaining about getting up and going to work, how much they hate their job, how much, you know, they don't wish they could, you know, get some time off and the things that they would do, you know, sit around and relax, you know, you know, read a good book, you know, maybe get some exercise or, you know, some things like that. And yet, now that you have the time to do that, to relax and get a little bit of exercise, as long as you stay six to 10 feet away from anybody else, you know, um, while you're outside, you know, and, you know, because we're not even locked into our houses, people, you know, but now that you actually are given what it is you want, what it is you always say that you wish you could do instead of going to work on, uh, on your Monday morning post, now you're complaining about that? I mean, I, have we become a nation of complainers where we complain if we don't get something, and then as soon as we get it, we complain about getting what we always said we wanted. Are you kidding me? You know, and so it's interesting uh, to look at the reaction. You know, and yeah, you know, I I gotta try and figure out why you know that is because it seems like people waited until you know businesses shut down and you know, people were told to you know, just stay home for 15 days, 15 days, people, 15 days. And you couldn't even make it, you know, uh, you know, a week before you were just complaining about everything. You know, and so it wasn't until, you know, everyone was given 15 days, you know, um, pretty much off for a lot of workers. Some of you, uh, because you're essential are still working. Okay. So if you're still out there posting those memes on Monday morning, okay, I get it. But for those of you who had, you know, gotten the time off and those of you who spent all your time wishing you could work from home, now you're working from home and you're complaining about working from home. You know, but it seems like it was after, you know, all the place you know, uh, had locked up, you know, closed down for 15 days that all of you suddenly decided Electronics are bad. You know, and I don't know whether this is the orange man bad theory or just sticking it to the man, you know, but for some reason, now that you're home, you know, instead of doing what you normally do, which is binge watching Netflix, scrolling through social media on your phone and posting comments and, you know, spreading around memes instead of, you know, being on your tablets and you know, are surfing the net. You know, instead of doing all of that, you finally decide, well, now that there's a huge infectious, you know, virus going around that has the potential to kill a lot of people, electronics are bad. And I suddenly desire real human face to face interaction. What? What? You wait until there is a pandemic, a virus that has the potential, you know, based off of the data with a wide range in death rates, to kill a lot of people. And that's the time you decide that you want to ditch the electronics for in-person human interactions. It's amazing. It's like, no matter what you tell people, they want to do the exact opposite. And maybe that's because of the American culture uh, that we have bred, the Freedom and independence. We just don't like being what to do, uh, being told what to do. Therefore, the moment we're told to do something that we've always, you know, told people we wish we could do, all of a sudden we want to do the exact opposite. Now, for some people, I got to wonder here if based off of some of the memes and all of that, if the problem is some of you didn't really marry well, right? And You know, spent your time as lousy parents and therefore because of lousy parenting and, you know, bad marital choices, you think that the risk of, of going out, getting sick and dying is much less painful than the idea of staying home with your family. You know, is that it that, you know, your family? A life is so horrible. You know, being around your spouse is so horrible. Being around your kids that you were supposed to be raising is so horrible that the risk of death in comparison is not that bad of, is not that bad of a thought to you. Right? Is, is that what's going on here? You know, or, you know, you're going out and risking death because some of you are trying your own cooking for the first time that could explain uh the run on toilet paper that we have seen. But some of you have, you know, decided, you know, for the first time in years to do uh your own cooking and you realize you can't survive off of your own cooking abilities. So maybe take this time afterwards to go through and try and learn how to cook. Now, moving along here, getting into some of the other uh things I've uh, been hearing about, such as you know what is the economic cost the cost to the economy, oh the economy you know, and this is coming a lot from uh conservatives you know who are talking so much about the economy, talking so much you know about you know the businesses uh that will be closing up the you know people you know who are gonna lose their jobs uh because of this and all that, and I just gotta wonder. Are all you conservatives leaders out there going off and stating that capitalism has failed? I mean, is that the argument here that after years and years of talking about how great capitalism is, how it's led to a lot of wealth, ingenuity, and, you know, this most successful business enterprises in the world, are you actually saying that it's, fa- it's failed so badly that we can't stand to be down for 15 days? You know, is our economy, you know, that we have built up on, you know, individualism, capitalism and businesses so fragile, so fragile has been built on such a house of cards that 15 days is enough to completely collapse it all? You know, are we so horrible at finances in this country? Are we so horrible at you know, responsible economic planning that 15 days is going to crush everything. Well, we know on the individual side, okay, maybe that is true. Seven uh, out of every 10 people for decades now have been living paycheck to paycheck with absolutely, you know, zero emergency fund in place for if something happens and comes up. But our businesses run that horribly too, where they don't have you know, enough money, you know, in an emergency fund are stockpiled out of all the profits that they have made to weather 15 days of being down. I mean, if that is your argument, if that is your economic argument, then what you are saying here is that all of a sudden you agree with liberals that, you know, capitalism was built on a house of cards and it sucks. So I don't get this whole 15 days, 15 days, that's two weeks and one day. That's all that was being asked for here to slow the spread. But yet people kept going out anyways. And now this may be, you know, part of where people are making this economic cost, you know, assessment, because part of that is, well, is what we're doing even working, you know? Is, you know, what we're doing working in comparison to the economic damage. So they're trying to make that argument that goes, yes, you know, the lives are more important than the economy. You know, yes, you know, maybe we can weather this out economically. But is it really worth it? You know, are we, you know, is it really worth it because, you know, are we really accomplishing? Everything, are we just damaging the economy and things are just going to happen the way they are? Well, let's take a look at what we've already seen accomplished, you know, up to now, right? We see, you know, that all the, that due to all the red tape and regulations and bureaucracies, uh, being tossed out, removed, eliminated and gone, we have seen that we have gone from outbreak to human testing of a vaccine in record time. People, we're already in human testing of a vaccine, right? So, which is going to save lives and slowing the spread while the vaccine is being tested and, you know, uh, and if it is as effective as what we are, you know, hoping it to be, guess what? That will have saved a lot of lives in 15 days the economy can handle 15 days you know hit to it okay for if that means you know that we have successfully developed a vaccine that will save lives okay secondly we have found that you know uh, uh, that some drugs are combination of drugs that are already widely available on the market right is effective in combating coronavirus you know, to treating people and leading to, you know, in some studies, although the studies are limited, all right, limited uh, participation, I I get that. But in some studies has shown a 100% recovery rate. Well, I would say that was worth 15 days to the economy as long as that holds up, you know, that, hey, we got in a treatment here and now, you know, the death rate will be zero, we're also seeing innovations uh, being utilized in the medical field, you know, innovations that have been held up by the FDA, you know, for quite some time. And that is the transfer of antibodies through plasma, where people who had gotten infected and recovered and now have antibodies, you know, are now in the process of uh, having some of them going ahead and doing plasma uh, donations, you know, and uh, the antibodies in those plasmas going to other people. And now that you're kind of sharing the immunity, because as the infected people who had recovered from this have antibodies, and through plasma transfers and transfusions are helping to spread those antibodies to other people, making them more immune To this virus, increasing the recovery rate, that is saving lives. So, no, I mean, if the, if what we were seeing here was we took a 15 day hit to the economy, we saw no progress, we're opening up the economy, uh, again, every, you know, the, uh, virus spreads far and wide and a lot of people die anyways as a result. What was the point of closing down the economy? If that was the case, I would understand the economic argument here, you know, about why did we take a 15 day hit to the economy? But if the issue is we took a 15 day hit to the economy to slow the spread and we have found, you know, a vaccine that works, a combination of medicine that works and plasma transfusions and sharing antibodies that work, then this was very well worth the cost because of all of the lives that are saved. And if you're, you know, making the argument right now that, you know, we can't recover from this 15 days, all these businesses are going to go under because of these 15 days, and that people are going to go bankrupt and suffer for years because of these 15 days, then what you're saying is, our idea of how we handle economics is completely stupid, that our businesses Are irresponsible and stupid with all the profits they are making from the most successful financial, uh, system and our economic system the world has ever known. And we're squandering that by being reckless and stupid with how we allocate and spend the money. And we're saying that the American people, you know, are completely stupid and reckless with how we handle our finances. So maybe as you go off and talk about the hit to the economy, We should also be having a conversation about the weakness and our spending habits and handling of money and going off and addressing that so that we can create a more financially stable system. And plus, take a look at this, you know, as far as, you know, the stock market and all that goes. Let's say businesses start getting more responsible with money and take the advice that you get in personal finances and have three to six months worth of expenses saved up, right, for an emergency. Now, let's say, you know, something like this hits again, right? But everybody knows that, you know, you have, our our corporations and our economy has three to six months worth of expenses saved up. Guess what? Investors don't get worried. Guess what? The stock market doesn't take a huge nosedive and a crash because it's like, well, you know we got the money, it's in the emergency fund, you know we we only need to take you know two weeks off, you know maybe three, who knows you know about the next time, three weeks off you know of shutting things down, we just need to shut things down for you know two to three weeks. We got enough money saved up in an emergency fund to cover all of our expenses for you know three months guess what? Things are going to be fine. The stock market isn't going to tank. And if everybody at home has, you know, three months of emergency, you know, uh, savings, you know, three months of expenses, three months of emergency food, three months of toilet paper and hand sanitizer, you know, and soap, guess what? Now people are sitting at home. They're not worried. They're not panicking. They're not making a run on the stores and selling everything out. The panic level stays down. People just go, okay, you know, they stay at home. They enjoy a little bit of time off and they go back to work. There's there's virtually little disruption to the economy. So let this, you know, be a lesson here. If you're hearing all these people freaking out over the economy about changing how we handle our finances, and our emergency planning, okay? Let this be a lesson for that. Okay, so moving along here, let's take a look at some of the indirect uh, coronavirus-related stuff. I guess it's still direct, but it's not about the spread, the economy, and All that necessarily. And that is, let's take a look at, you know, what's going on because right now the Democrats are trying to hold the American people hostage in order to pass a Christmas lift of far left ideological, you know, uh, you know, policy agendas that have nothing to do with the coronavirus. And yet they're demanding it to be involved in any stimulus package you know, and holding up uh the American people as hostage for it. I mean, it is incredibly sickening. I mean, it is so sickening that even conspiracy th- uh theory, TV, CNN and MSNBC are coming out blasting the Democrats for being so stupid as to hold the people hostage in order to pass all this unrelated garbage, you know, uh that they want in the bills. And so let's take a look at you know, what the uh, Republican uh, proposal is. You know, first off, uh, the Republican proposal uh, involves checks and unemployment. The package uh, that the Republicans are uh, wanting to pass involves, you know, direct financial assistance to help Americans in the form of stimulus checks sent out to many Americans. The proposal uh, would include a one-time payment, one time, not an ongoing Andrew Yang style you know, UBI, but a one-time you know uh, payment of1,200 dollars per adult, uh, 2,400 dollars per couple, and up to 3,000 dollars for a family of four. All right? That is direct checks and payment to the American people whose income has been cut off because of everything that has been closed down. The you know, Republicans have called for a minimum payment of 600 dollars uh, to Americans in aid. Uh, would be phased down uh, as income thresholds of $75,000 for individuals, $150,000 for couples, and uh, there would be an additional $500 payment for each child. This is direct cash assistance to help people weather the storm, All right, That seems pretty relevant to the situation at hand we see small business support. So there is an estimated $350 billion would be provided for small businesses to keep making payroll. Companies with 500 or fewer employees, these are small main street businesses here, not these big corporations that the Democrats want you to believe, but 500 or fewer employees could tap up to $10 million each in forgivable small business loans to keep paychecks flowing. So again, this is, you know, a loan to small main street businesses, some of which uh, could be forgivable. And it's for the purpose of keeping or maintaining payroll. So these loans going to businesses are about them, you know, being able to keep paying employees. Uh, during this time, the businesses that haven't completely closed down, you know, and are still in operation because they're essential, but due to the lack of travel, there isn't a whole lot of customers, you know, uh, coming in through the door, but they are essential. Right? So keeping, uh, businesses going, you know, uh, for that. You know, now there are big company loans, you know, and this is what the Democrats don't want you to realize loans. These are, you know, uh, money that is being allocated for big uh, companies and corporations taking a huge hit at this time. But this is money that the businesses would pay back, you know, would pay back. So it's not really, you know, uh, you know, an expense. It's a small term loan that we will recoup the cost of you know, and so the plan calls for $208 billion, which out of, you know, about $1.6 trillion, having, um, or in some estimates, $1.8 trillion, $208 billion is not even, you know, half the package. The big business uh, company loans is what? at you know, let's see here out of a trillion dollars, that would equal about 20%. So we're talking about 10% of the package for big companies, right? And that's what the Democrats are saying is too much for big businesses. And we're talking about loans that would be repaid, you know, and with some of them, it would be repaid with the interest so the government would actually make some money off of it, you know, to help cover the cost of the other parts of this. Right. And so this is all directly related to keeping the economy going. Right. And th- this is the Republican plan. It's pretty simple. Send checks, uh, to people who have lost their income, uh, because of this, uh, you know, because they're not able to work or have been laid off of work. Send, uh, money, uh, to small Main Street businesses in order to help them maintain payroll as You know, their services are deemed essential and yet the amount of customers per day is pretty low because everyone's being ordered to stay home. Okay. And you understand this. And plus to be able to make payroll while, you know, the fact that say, you know, the company uh, that it's going to is a, um, I'll just use a utility, uh, you know, for an example here. You know, let's say it's for internet providers. Right. And so what's going on here is, you know, internet providers are still in operation, you know, uh, but the people's ability to pay for their internet access has greatly been diminished. And so, you know, a lot of internet companies are saying, hey, we're waiving late fees. We'll work with you, you know, if you need, if you can't pay, you know, for a little while and getting on a plan after everything's cleared up in order to get you you know, back in account. And because they're not necessarily receiving the money, you know, from the services that they provide at this time, you know, they're not, you know, weathering the financial storm and the ability to make payroll. So, hey, let's go ahead and provide, you know, and when I say internet providers, not all internet providers are big, huge mega corporations. You know, some of them are small local providers, you know, who are still providing internet service even though their customers are financially struggling, and may not be able to pay. Well, to keep the internet open, they need to be able to make payroll for the employees that are still there maintaining the internet, even while they're not receiving the money from the customers at this time. So providing money to be able to keep everything operating and essential services, you know, is important. And big companies and big corporations, we need to make sure that they're able, you know, uh, to stay afloat, you know, and so we go through and provide them loans that they will pay back. Now it's interesting. Some people talk about, well, stock buyback, stock buyback, you know, we gave a big tax cut. They bought back all these stocks and now they're in financial trouble again. Well, first of all, the financial trouble is from a virus unleashed from the other side of the world here. In China, there's no way to have predicted that. Secondly, thank God they engaged in stock buybacks because what did stock buy? People are confused about what stock buybacks are. It's people buying back basically, uh, debt, you know, ownership in the company. It's people, it was companies reducing their financial liability and expenses because all those stocks that were out there, what happens? They were, you know, they would have to pay dividends uh, to people as, you know, as the, you know, uh, profits grew. And, you know, you understand stock dividends, right? You know, and so by engaging in stock buybacks and reducing the amount of stocks uh, that were out there, they were reducing the size and scope of the dividends that they would have to pay out for the profits that they have made as part of the stocks, it was part of reducing their financial cost and liability, which means during this time, because of all the stock buybacks that they had engaged in, their expenses are less than what they were at the time that all those stocks were out there before they bought them back. And plus, look at this, this is also what's great, because they spent all that time buying back stocks when the economy starts, you know, uh picking up because everyone is back out and engaging in the economy again, those companies can now get the stocks that they had bought back, get them back out on the market for sale for people to buy up and infusing cash flow back into these businesses at a rapid rate so that they can get everything up and running and back on the, you know, economic engine that they were before this. Right? So they're going to be able to get all that out there and being able to go through and get the um, big cash infusion to get everything up and rolling. So thank God they engaged in these stock buybacks. But of course, the Democrats want to go through and take a look at you know people's ignorance of what stock buybacks, you know, did and how they work and all of that, you know, to manipulate the public in order to try and demonize the big businesses that thank God, are involved in making our efforts to fight the virus possible, you know, that have been bailing out the American people. Right? But then let's go ahead and take a look at what the Democrats plan is, you know, what the Democrats are holding the American people hostage in order to try and pass. So what's in the Democrat plan? Well, here it is. So the Democrats are holding us hostage because they want, one, corporate pay statistic by race and race statistics for all corporate boards at companies receiving assistance. Really? They're trying to go through and try and use this as a means by which to fund opposition research to push their radical agenda by trying to get, you know, hands-on statistical information that They can then manipulate, warp, twist, bend into election politics. Really? All right. They want to bail out all current debt of the postal service. So yes, the postal service, which is part government, part, you know, private, you know, corporation. And, you know, because they are incompetent at handling everything have racked up a lot of debt. And so now it's about bailing out the postal service. Ah. require early voting what does voting have to do with the coronavirus what does voting in november have to do with the coronavirus crisis happening in march think about that and require early voting of course because you know they want people to vote before let's say the october surprise you know because if you vote early and then suddenly news breaks about something uh, that you, the person you voted for you know, did, you can't take back your vote, right? You can't change your vote. This is why early voting is stupid to begin with, because you cast your vote, and then all of a sudden, you know, a big scandal hits, right? And all of a sudden, you realize that the person you voted for was a complete fraud and a sham, and you all of a sudden don't like the person, you can't take back your vote or change your vote. Require same-day voter registration. Now this is them trying to, you know, you hold the American people hostage in order to, you know, break down election security and increase voter fraud. Because now, you know, illegal immigrants can just show up, you know, uh, register to vote, you know, use any name that they want, you know, uh, whether or not they're, you know, they have ID, you know, and of course, you know, illegal immigrants can get their hands on fake IDs. You know, it's part of how they've been able to get employment. You know, even though it's illegal for them to work, you know, cast a vote and disappear, you know, and then that vote gets tallied up and becomes part of the election. But yet there was no check on whether or not that vote, the person who casted that vote was actually legally able to vote. You know, there's no check on the, on if they were an actual citizen or if they were a felon who lost their right to vote. This is the problem with same-day voter registration. It encourages and same-day voter registration heightens voter fraud, and Democrats desperately need voter fraud in order to stay in power. It was Project Veritas that came out and had all these Democrats admitting that they bust people around to different precincts and Districts is, uh, in order to vote multiple times. It was the Democrat election commissioner in New York that admitted that there's a lot of voter fraud going on and that they're the, and that, you know, he's to turn a blind eye to it because it benefits the Democrats. Right? Uh, four, they want $10,000 bailout for student loans to, you know, f- basically bail out or forgive up to $10,000 of everyone's student loans. Student loans? What does that have to do with anything? You know, oh, for companies uh, accepting assistance, they want one third of the board members must be chosen by workers. Now, this is a dumb idea. This is one of the dumbest ideas that they have come up with. One third of board members must be chosen by workers? I mean, first of all, you know, if we're depending on the company, you're talking about people who have no information, knowledge, or education and business whatsoever being uh, promoted to the board by their co-workers based off of, you know, what? Based off of what? They're going to sit there on the board and they have no idea what's going on. You know, and if you're talking about people who work in jobs that don't require uh any type of education, knowledge or training in, you know, basic business operation or pra- practices, what benefit is that going to be? And if it's going to be chosen by, you know, workers, how are people going to start going off to get their workers to, you know, choose them? They're going to turn the, you know, board uh board positions into political offices, you know, within the company whereby, you know, people are going, choose me to work on the board. Choose me. I will be fighting for increased pay. You know, you're going to get like $32 an hour if you choose me. Oh, choose me and you'll get 32 hours and we're going to double the amount of paid time off that you get and yada, yada, yada. I mean, people are going to be campaigning for these, you know, board positions Like we see politicians campaigning for political offices, and then we get all these people who don't have any, you know, knowledge about how to, uh, businesses run, getting in based off of political, you know, campaigning and trying to hold up the board and business hostage to basically, you know, force them to engage in dumb butt decisions, you know, that are gonna bankrupt the company. Right? I mean, could you imagine? You know, for instance, let's say if um ocasio Cortez instead of running for the House of Representatives, you know this gets passed, and she's you know uh in a uh company and she got elected uh to the board. you know, can you imagine that yet yeah, she spoke well, she promised the uh people that if uh that if they voted her into the board, she was gonna give them all this stuff, and yet she as ignorant and as stupid as she is. Can you imagine giving her a say in how the company is going to divvy up uh, its profits and plan its operations? So this is a completely stupid decision. are asked by the Democrats. Provisions on official time for union collective bargaining. Oh yes, unions. You know, there may have been a time uh, for unions about a hundred years ago. Right. But unions have caused, you know, in the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, more problems than they, than they ever could solve. You know, they're the reasons why the auto industry needed to be bailed out because of all of their demands. Oh, we're going to strike and shut down operations until you give into our demands that you can't even possibly afford to give into. Yeah full offset of airline emissions by 2025. This is them holding the American people hostage to their whole Green New Deal, you know, their climate change religion, right? People have been pushing climate change for 120 years. None of the predictions, none of the models, none of the scientific data that they claim that they had collected ever, you know, turned out to be true. You know, they said acid rain was gonna, you know, uh, destroy ninety percent of the vegetation. They said the polar ice caps will have completely melted by the year two thousand and have flooded eighty percent of the Earth's surfaces. They said, you know, uh, before that, that we were gonna be into an ice age that was gonna wipe out the half of the population, and and their models for how they go through and predict climate change. You know and the models that they use to try and tell us, you know, an estimate of what past climates uh have been, you know, but then when you take those same models and project it forward, they always fail. They're not even close to being right. So if they're not even close to being right, uh, as far as being able to predict what the climate is going to be like in the next, you know, uh, three to five years, then why do we have any trust in them about whether or not those models were correct for what the climate was 10,000 years ago. Right. And they don't have ranges of individual centuries, what the climate change was, you know, naturally over individual centuries, they have to, you know, estimate what the averages were over a thousand year period. Averages meaning combining the high temperatures with the low temperatures and finding out what the average in between was, right? So, let's see here. They want greenhouse gas statistics on individual flights. Again, what does this have to do with the um, emergency that we are facing with the coronavirus, right? Retirement plans for community newspaper employees, Uh, permanent paid leave at companies receiving assistance, Again, we have paid leave. It's called PTO, paid time off. Why you want to take away people's PTO time and put it into a more restrictive medical, you know, uh, leave time is dumbfounding to me. You know, and that is, you know, the highlights of what the Democrats are holding the American people hostage on the coronavirus relief plan you know, what it is they're demanding to be added into it and how they're holding us hostage until they hope the Democrats cave into that. Excuse me, the Democrats are holding the people hostage, hoping that the Republicans will cave into that. Now, here is another story that is interesting. You know, again, you know, everything is related to the coronavirus, but this one is even more interesting because it's coming out of colleges and everything. So as you know, uh, the coronavirus has caused a lot of schools and universities to stop holding, you know, classes in person, you know, and are having to account for, you know, uh, holding classes more online. Well, holding classes online have a lot of professors worried. Why? Because they're worried that people will screen record the lectures and share them with conservative outlets. Get this. Professors are concerned about the content and topics and information in their lecture leaking to the American public. What does that tell us? That tells us that they are, that what they are teaching is not real information. You know, they're afraid of being fact checked on how they are gaslighting their students and they don't want people to see just The unbelievable garbage that these university professors are pushing out on the people. So one professor expressed concern that right wing sites could expose what is being taught in colleges. Why are you concerned about what about exposing what is being taught in colleges if what you are teaching is sane, radical, and factual information? So, I mean, if you were being honest and providing a real education to the students, you have, you shouldn't be afraid of people being able to see what it is you're teaching them. You know, what the content of your lectures are. The only reason to be afraid is because you're pumping your students full of BS, full of lies, full of let's hate America propaganda. And not giving them the education that they are paying for. You know, so this is interesting how the Democrats and the left wing are afraid of being exposed to the light, being afraid of people actually hearing what they actually believe, how they're afraid of transparency with the American people. Right. And this is interesting. People are now because of this, they're going off and wondering, what are you hiding? You know, I mean, we got all these people going into college lectures and we hear, you know, some students try to say what their professors are teaching. And then, you know, a lot of people, a lot of other, you know, left-wing activists will come out and go, no, 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 that's, you know, that's not right. And then if they try to record the lectures, then, you know, they, you know, the students would get in trouble and some of the recordings that we have gotten are very deeply disturbing. But, you know, now that there is an opportunity to really get full context and information over the garbage that the professors are pushing in their classroom, the professors are freaking out, you know, uh, afraid that of what it is, you know, they're teaching being exposed to the general public. You know, so professors across the country are taking to social media to express their concerns over being forced to deliver their course lectures online amid the coronavirus outbreak, says the article from Campus Reform, sharing with each other tips on how to limit the number of people who are able to see what they're teaching students and criticizing right-wing sites. And even campus reform specifically. Texas Christian University associate professor of political science, Emily Ferris tweeted Thursday, if you are recording a lecture on anything controversial, be prepared for right wing sites to ask students to share it. Campus reform reached out to Ferris via Twitter direct messaging to allow her an opportunity to further explain her comments are to clarify. She later blocked, uh, the author of this article on Twitter. You know, so think about that. You know, and because they can't stop it. I mean, they could, uh, anybody from doing it. I mean, right now, if people are delivering lectures online, right? You know, what you can do is you can easily screen record it, you know, and you can do that very simply, uh, using OBS, open broadcaster system, to screen record it and expose what is actually being taught by these left-wing activist professors in the classroom. And this has them scared. Transparency has them scared. So that is interesting. And if professors are going out there expressing how they are concerned, worried, and fearful of people knowing what they're teaching students, that should be uh, a big alarm and red bells, are red alarms and red lights going off everywhere regarding this. Okay, and finally, the Democrats are also freaking out uh, regarding the uh, coronavirus and how it's shaping up the election, right? So let's go through and take a look at this. So, you know, the president has been going out there giving daily briefings on the coronavirus, right? And as he does so, you know, the support for the president has gone up. Approval ratings for the president has gone up. Meanwhile, because of everything that is going on, Democrats are not, you know, uh, in the spotlight nearly as much like Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. You know, they, they can't get in the media coverage and they're not the ones, you know, leading the way on combating the coronavirus. And so they're having to resort to just doing, you know, some live streams to which Joe Biden, um, apparently doesn't understand how live streams work. So he looks like an incompetent buffoon that doesn't even understand basic technology right now. Right. And Bernie Sanders, you know, he's his campaign is pretty much over, you know, and none of them actually have a plan or a response. They're just. Regurgitating what the president says and trying to pass it off as their own. But as the, you know, uh, daily briefings are happening and the approval ratings of Trump is going out, is going up, the media is freaking out and media personalities are freaking out. And so now there is a call on, you know, the cable news networks not to air these daily briefings, right? Which is interesting because they were once asking, "Why aren't we getting information? Why aren't they holding briefings?" Now they're holding briefings, but because the approval ratings for Trump is continuing to increase, as a result, now they're covering and demanding people, uh, that the network stop, stop airing these briefings because it's providing Trump, you know, too much of a spotlight to display that he is a good leader right? And so now they're trying to censor the coverage of the coronavirus task force, because what is Trump doing? He's going out there saying, you know, this is what's happening. These are the steps uh, that we are taking. It's not just Trump doing all the talking. He is sharing the podium with experts throughout the various medical fields to provide us the information and update and expertise of, you know, what we should and shouldn't be doing in combating this economic experts. So it's not just Trump doing all the talking. He is showing, you know, true leadership here. And it is and this is an election year and the Democrats are freaking out. So what are they doing? They're going from why isn't he, you know, providing, you know, updates to holy crap. He's showing himself to be a, a great leader. We need to ban this off of TV you know, and so it has them freaking out. Now, another way in which this is affecting the 2020 election, right, is take a look at, you know, the economic impact of this. Yes, there's no doubt that there's an economic impact, especially with the economy taking such a hit. Well, before this outbreak happened, you know, Trump had already had a sizable, massive election war chest, you know, campaign war chest, as he broke records month after month for fundraising for reelection. The Democrats are not in that great of a position. They're not. In fact, when you take a look at the Democrats, you know, they, the DNC has barely been able to operate financially for a long time. You know, uh, they're still trying to recover from the financial disaster that was the Obama uh, presidency and elections. And so they don't have a whole lot of money. And when you take a look at, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, his campaign is virtually over with. He's, he's not going to be the nominee. And then when you take a look at Joe Biden, Joe Biden's campaign is already strapped for cash. And so what's going to happen when everything opens up and, you know, we get the economy going and all that, people are going to be weary about spending for a while, you know, and people, you know, may have lost their jobs. During this time, because of this economic disaster, which means fundraising efforts are going to be pretty hard. You know, and, you know, now we could say how Hollywood will probably step in to try and bail out Joe Biden and his campaign and try and fund that. But then, you know, President Trump can go out there and go billionaire Joe. You know, Joe Biden is funded only by the rich elitist and while Uh, Trump is funded by everyday average citizens. Imagine that ad. And and along with, you know, all the Democrats that have railed against, you know, big, you know, millionaires and billionaires funding campaigns. Now, you know, having to rely exclusively on millionaires and billionaires to fund the Democrats and Joe Biden. You know, so Biden, you know, being the front runner is not doing too good in his campaigns, fundraising efforts in a strap for cash and cash flow is going to be tight for a while here when the economy opens up. And so, you know, who's in the best position as far as money wise for campaigning, you know, during the election and every And then we take a look at what we were talking about with the Democrats holding the American people hostage in order to try and pass their wish list. Imagine uh, the campaign ads about, you know, that Trump is going to be able to run based off of that. You know, while Trump was fighting for the American people, Democrats were holding you hostage for a political wish list uh, an agenda unrelated, you know, uh, to the crisis. They used your suffering to try and force down unrelated policies. I mean, can you imagine how that's going to go? And then plus, considering that, you know, the Democrats, you know, and their whole Green New Deal and their claims on the economy, You know, imagine how much of their union workers are going to continue to abandon them. Not just because the Democrats were holding up legislation to provide them relief, but the fact that the Democrats are specifically and drastically trying to target and kill off the jobs of all these union workers in the in the energy sector. They're going to go. Well, if I vote for you, you're going to kill my job. Why would I vote for you? you know, so think about that. Think about that. All right. So that's it uh, for this particular episode. I know that it's, you know, gone over, you know, uh, I try to, keep, I want to try and keep it more around 50 minutes, but there's just so much going on and so much analysis uh, that needs to be done in order to cover everything. So uh, that's it uh, for this episode. Hey, don't forget if you're a new listener uh, to go ahead and hit that uh, subscribe leave me a rating and review so that other people can find this podcast and know whether or not it's for them. Share it with your friends and family. All right, let's go ahead and as much as this podcast has grown already, let's get it growing even more. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will be back again soon.